Welcome to Refocus Together. My name is Brian, and uh, I am a food scientist. Uh, I also am a food industry consultant and the author of a book on food science, 150 Food Science Questions Answered. And yeah, right now, currently, I'm just consulting for food companies, and a lot of them are startups, a lot of them are new to the space, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to help them get to where they need to go. I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel, and this is a special ADHD Awareness Month series of my podcast, Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. If you're a regular listener, you know that the Refocus podcast is where we change the narrative around ADHD and share the tips and tools we need to refocus and live our best lives. If you're new here and found us because it's ADHD Awareness Month, Welcome. We are so glad you're here, and I truly hope you'll stick around long after October ends. Now, there are parts of this ADHD journey that some of us have figured out, and there are parts that we still need help cracking. And so for ADHD Awareness Month, I'm collaborating, as always, with my partner, ADHD Online, to interview 31 people. That's one interview for every day of the month about their own ADHD experience. We'll hear from people who were diagnosed as kids and those diagnosed well into adulthood. We'll talk about hyperfocus and distraction, stigma and shame, grief and acceptance, and so much more. And we'll see that ADHD can affect anyone, all genders, orientations, backgrounds, nationalities, and cultures. And while there are differences in how we live this truth, there are also so many similarities that bring us together in community. The special project is very near and dear to my heart. And although talking to 31 different people has been a lot of talking, I'm so grateful for each person who shared their story. And I'm truly forever changed by these conversations. And I cannot wait for you to meet my guests and get to know them. Be sure to subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel so that you don't miss a single story this month. Today's guest, Brian Lee, was clued into a potential ADHD diagnosis after his wife, a psychotherapist, gave him an ADHD questionnaire after seeing how he struggled to stay on task during the pandemic. He filled it out as honestly as possible and scored very high for ADHD tendencies. So the food scientist and author took the proper steps to make that diagnosis official. For Brian, finding out he has ADHD explained so many of the frustrating work and social tendencies he's experienced all his life. He's struggled with deadlines, motivation, and forgetfulness, and had to develop sophisticated strategies to stay on track with his academic work. Like many people with ADHD, Brian knew a normal 9-to-5 job just wasn't for him. So he created a consulting business where he helps companies in the food industry design, develop, and market their products. It has allowed him to control his own schedule and now allows him the space he needs as he learns the ins and outs of how his brain works to optimize energy and focus. 
Today's episode is a great conversation for anyone who has ever wanted to work for themselves, neurodivergent or not, because Brian, with the help of his wife, has created a structure and boundaries that help him thrive in his work. I was so excited when your information came through my email because a food scientist is someone, one, I've never spoken to, even outside of this project. And so (laughs) it was just so exciting to find somebody who's like, yeah, I do this thing that's completely kind of new and kind of very, I want to say niche, like it's a very specific realm that you work in and you do it with also having ADHD. And so I would love if you could just start by going back to the beginning, uh, telling us a little bit about your own diagnosis and what led up to it. Yeah, definitely. So basically, you know, pandemic hit, I was actually just graduating from my PhD. And uh, so I, I actually did my PhD defense, which is normally in person over Zoom. And that was a that was a trip. But after that, you know, I, I had a hard time finding a job. So um, I had been doing consulting on the side during graduate school anyway. And I thought, I told my wife, like, hey, maybe I should just kind of jump into it and figure things out. So I did. But then I started seeing how there's some symptoms coming up of, you know, fogginess, forgetfulness. I had a really hard time multitasking. Um, I sometimes even forget clients. That was really bad. Those are, there are definitely some moments where I was like, wow, can I really do this? Even though I was getting some traction, some success. So uh, I think out of a whim, my wife just gave me this questionnaire and she was like, fill out this questionnaire. She didn't tell me what it was. She didn't, she just was like asking me the questions. And I was like, yeah, five, five. And then it was like questions like, how's your attention span over time? Like, are you going to be able to focus on things? Like, are you overwhelmed? You know, do you feel like you have too much energy? So there's these like very specific questions and I didn't think too much. I thought she just pulled a questionnaire off of BuzzFeed or something. And then, you know, after she was done, um, she was like, Hey, I think you have ADHD. <laughs> and she showed me the, what the questionnaire was. And I was like, oh my gosh, I scored really highly on all these. And it was so funny to me because I never in a in hundred years thought I had ADHD. Never, right? And so I was like, okay, this is just a questionnaire. I probably am biased. You know, I'm a scientist, so I just felt like I need more evidence. So I went to the primary care. Um, they also gave me a questionnaire. I also scored very highly on it. And they're like, maybe we should take you to a psychiatrist. You know, let me refer you to the one. And lo and behold, I sat with her and she was like, yeah, you probably have adult ADHD. <laughs> and I'm like, great. And it's, it seems like I, I'm, I'm of the inattentive form, which, you know, really presents itself as someone that's very just... You know, that I, I don't, I, in school, I, I could sit down and I could do all my work, but I was all, like, if you were inside my brain, I was just, all these different thoughts, but you, you wouldn't tell, you, you wouldn't even know. Um, so I, I presented as someone that was, you know, fairly intelligent in the regular school system, but probably wasn't paying that much attention, right? 
And then, so no, I don't, no one caught it. No one. And it, it's not like I never went to, you know, the school counselor or anything like that, but they just thought I was, you know, really prone to interrupting the teacher because I, or the professors even, right? Like I, I was always like, you know, I, I just say what was ever in my head. I just, you know, blouted it out. Like many times I was, I remember, you know, being reprimanded for talking in class or like saying things that are inappropriate. But I don't know if it's something because, you know, growing up as um, my background is Vietnamese. And, you know, even though I was born here in the United States, my English wasn't so good. It struggled a little bit because my my parents spoke Vietnamese to me growing up. Um, And so I don't know if it was just like this perception that maybe, oh, there's a cultural element to it or, you know, maybe he's got something else going on in the family. But there's this assumption that, yeah, like we're not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole, <laughs> but it was great because I was always, I was always a good student. So I passed, I passed very well. But then after I got that diagnosis, I was like, oh my gosh, all those times, all these different like events and experiences in my life, it, it was, it was so easy to explain versus like for a long time, you know, I, I, I had, you know, I had depression um, for a little bit and, you know, I struggled with socializing. Um, and there was a, there was one time I got uh, accepted to, um, graduate school at at Stanford and I was so overwhelmed, um, that I dropped out and it, and, you know, I was reading about some of the, you know, not that, you know, everyone has their own personal life and story, but people with ADHD tend to, it appears that they, they struggle with, um, certain levels of academia and that they, you know, sometimes it just becomes overwhelming. And then, you know, there tends to be a high dropout rate, right? Like I was reading research about ADHD and sort of correlations between career and education goals and so on and so forth. You know, I just felt like a failure at that time. Um, But I got back on the, you know, I got back on the education pathway. And I, you know, luckily I met my wife who is very has very high executive functioning skills and and so she helps me so much on all the other things that you know just fly by my head (laughs) it's very funny that you mentioned that and like how amazing for you guys to kind of balance each other out because i was talking with somebody else about men who are missed who fall into the inattentive type and it you know it crosses so many different generations because we just didn't know how it presented in Mm -hmm. so many different ways but they talk about, you know, these men who use school as like their body doubling as their structure. And then they went to college and then they met their wives and then their wives became the executive function. And, and then they'd go into <laughs> jobs where they would have secretaries who, for the most part, it's a, you know, it's a very predominantly female heavy, quote unquote, stereotype industry. And so then they'd have these women who even if they did have ADHD, were masking it and, you know, had great coping mechanisms. And so you're just this entire structure of life. And it's not until they retire and that system's gone that they go, oh, like what was holding this up all the time? (laughs) Right. Right. No, absolutely. You know, I, I look back and I I think about all the people that supported me in in a lot of ways. Um, And I didn't realize like, they were, they were basically, they, they've shielded me from, you know, the, the, the sort of problems that I was um, having with this sort of, uh, you know, way of thinking. And, um, 
you know, now that I, now that I know it and I, I understand it, my wife is like, oh, okay, that explains a lot. We're working together to help me kind of develop my own system so that I'm not always relying on her. Right. And I think that's, uh, that's the key bit is that, you know, no one wants to spend their rest of their lives like supporting someone's weaknesses. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm learning to, it's really nice that I'm working as a consultant because I don't think I would do very well in a normal, or it would have to be a very niche specific way of, of doing things because I love, I love the fact that I can do so many different things with so many different companies because I can't do a project for more than three months, right? I get so bored. I get so tired of it. Um, and it just feels so routine. And I, right now, like I work with, I can work between six to 10 clients and I'm always switching gears and it helps me. It creates its own kind of structure. It's one that I don't think a lot of people would be comfortable with because it's very chaotic and it's very hard to keep track of. But I love it because it allows me to switch, you know, parts of my brain off and then turn other ones on. You know, I'll either I'll do some writing or I'll do research or I'll, you know, talk to people or I'll, you know, run a lecture. And it's just it allows me to to keep productive without necessarily you know, if I was doing something that was more routine, I did an internship once um, for three months. And it was the same thing over and over again. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't work. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to work. This is awful. Is this what people do? <laughs> I've been there. I feel that very much. And I'm curious, the food science, is there a part of it that's really fascinating to you because it is always changing? It's like, it's this thing that like started small and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but to your point, like food science is a young field. I mean, it, it got started back in the 40s and 50s um, because after World War II, there is this need for, you know, understanding food and there's some problems that people needed solving. And, um, you know, scientists started gravitating towards that. So for me, what I really love about it is one, uh, it, it pulls from so many different fields of science. There's, there's biology, a lot of microbiology, so my, you know, microorganisms, food safety, and so forth. There's also chemistry, which is what I'm really good at. Um, but I never wanted to just go down one path, right? Like I got stuck there and I was like, you know, in the beginning of college, I was like, Oh, cool. This is like a lot of fun. This is really interesting. But towards the end, I got really burnt out because I was like, Oh my gosh, it's like the same thing over and over again. But like, really niche, really like narrow. I was like, no thanks. So I really like the fact that I can pick up from both of those. And there's also a lot of engineering. Um, and then there's just like the social aspect and the, the human aspect. Like I love talking to people, right? Uh, I, I have some issues with socialization, like uh, with relationships, but that doesn't mean I don't like people. It's just that I don't have the attention span to <laughs> keep track of everyone. So, but you know, I, I love, love talking to people. I love like, understanding the human condition and i think food is one of those things that touches all of our lives and we can you know there's emotions involved there's psychology involved there's you know understanding oh the flavors impact on my memories and you know how it touched me when you know grandma was cooking like I, that to me is just like a whole different aspect that i love and you know i get to use science to actually get involved in that which I don't know if you know this, but like chemists don't really have a whole lot of industry tracks, you know, a lot of them, you know, either end up in pharmaceuticals or, or in, you know, in, uh, in petrochemicals. 
this is great fields, but like, I was like, Oh geez, like those are very dry. And you know, there's a lot, there's a long, you know, you don't get to the person until like you go through a lot of different, you know, avenues through there. So, you know, for me, it's like, I directly can talk to people and work with people and it's, it's so fascinating and, and a lot of fun. That's awesome. And it's like, how amazing for you to like, be so passionate about it, but also like know exactly what you want and what you don't want. Cause I think that that's probably something that a lot of people with ADHD struggle with is like, how do you pick a hyper focus that is broad enough to satisfy you? Oh, a hundred percent. It was so, you know, in our society, you need a little bit of focus. Like you can't just do everything. It was so funny that I got to be a generalist within a niche, <laughs> which really saved me. <laughs> I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about your life as a Vietnamese American and how culturally the conversations around ADHD, whether they're happening now or if they ever happened, or you know, even just talking about feelings and talking about how your brain was working. I think it's very much across all different cultures, but I love hearing from people outside of my own little bubble about what was going on in their houses and and how we talked about life you know we were very much like oh my stomach hurts or you know i fell down and and you know i i hurt myself in this way but we aren't so great at communicating what's going on in our heads and i think that's a lot of the reasons why so many of us were diagnosed later in life because we just assumed everyone was this way yeah yeah that that's an interesting uh interesting point of perspective because for for my household you know Vietnamese diaspora really you know came out of the Vietnam War right so there's a lot of trauma there and there's a lot of there's not a lot in our culture already there's not a lot of talk about emotions it's it's very it's very family oriented there's not it's definitely there but it's you know our interactions are very much trying to get by right and i think one of the things that kind of happened when i was growing up is there's this assumption that i was just a sensitive kid right and but there was no like investigation on that <laughs> like what what is actually happening there and it's understandable like I, I think my parents were very much focused on work and they're very much you know striving to make it here in the united states um and so you know what my mom was working tons and tons of hours um they my dad was a doctor and my mom ran the medical clinic they're so hyper focused on that and you know that that's probably the one thing i learned from them is the ability to kind of succeed in, in arduous situations but as on the emotional front like you know I, I i sometimes suspect that my dad was possibly on the spectrum he didn't talk at all right and that and that's also a cultural aspect man didn't really talk about emotions and, you know, um, my mom is also not very warm in that way. And so I was also just kind of growing up and not really understanding how emotions worked and making these assumptions that, okay, well, this is this is how things are going to be. Um, until I went and met my wife, whose family is very warm and very, you know, a lot of transparency, a lot of honesty, a lot of emotional talk. And that blew my mind. I was like, wow, families are like this. <laughs> like, and I think that it became more apparent. Uh, you know, at first, I think their assumption was also like, oh, he's sensitive. Um, and, 
you know, he, he, he's got these cultural elements to his life. And then as soon as they started to learn more about my family and actually my extended family, who I don't know if anyone does have an ADHD diagnosis. So I don't know if I map out to anyone else, but they're like, oh, he's very different from even his family. <laughs> so they could at least like exclude the cultural elements and then some of the stuff that came from my parents. And they're like, oh, he's just, he's got something else happening. <laughs> like, And then my wife finally was like, hmm, because she's a psychotherapist. So, you know, she's re- learning about all that. She understands all that. And she's wondering, you know, especially as she sees more and more clients in her work who do present with ADHD. I think that's what really, we finally connected the dots and it took a lot to get to that point because you never know, like you don't want to offend anyone and you don't want to make assumptions, but then you realize once you, once you understand everything about a person, you're like, oh wait, there's something else happening in their brain and we need to investigate that. I love that your wife is a psychotherapist and that she's learning about this and seeing things in you because I actually have spoken to so many people who work in that field who then realized it about themselves. And, you know, you mentioned food science is so new. Well, so is psychology, you know, like we think it's this like deep dive, you know, go back to the philosophers. But really, like when we look at actual documentation and facts and understanding it's it's really new and so it's so wonderful to know that like this next generation of people who are going to be working in the mental health field are people who are like no we need to understand this better and we need to have a a better understanding of how it's presenting and you know we're in this realm right now of people who because of the pandemic are realizing what was working in life and what wasn't and I think there are a lot of people who are like, oh, everyone has ADHD. And it's like, maybe everyone does. Maybe it's a lot bigger than we thought it was. And we just, we've never dealt with this. You know, we've never had this moment where we go, oh, we didn't know about this or we're learning new things. And so it's just so eye-opening to me how had the pandemic not happened, Maybe someday you would have been diagnosed. You know, maybe someday your wife would have come home and been like, hey, I've been thinking about this. Or like maybe I would have seen like there would have been one meme, you know, five years down the line that I would have been like, oh, yeah. Hmm. But it's just so interesting, this one moment in time and all the things that have to happen for us to get to this point. 100%. 100%. I think what's funny and it's I think even to that point with the pandemic, there's also there's so much online conversation and discussion that normally wouldn't happen you know you were you're seeing youtube videos where you know we're making fun of the pandemic and then i think my wife and i started going down the road of because we don't usually just watch youtube videos together it's just that because of the pandemic we were like oh we gotta do something we started going down this line of watching people with adhd do youtube videos and talking and making fun of like oh this is how adhd presents and then we were like oh my gosh that's what that's what you do Brian I'm like it was like it was like meeting um you know a a new group of friends for the first time (laughs) like these are people I can hang out with like they totally understand exactly what's going on here and that you know I think that's that's the other piece of it is that now we have the internet and now we have all these conversations 
uh, that we wouldn't have had 10, 20 years ago, right? And it, it, it's mind-blowing, you know, there's so many different groups and people. It's, it it was, would have been impossible for everyone to, to come together, even in a large city, right? Like, we wouldn't have known, like, what, who are these people, right? And it's not something you, you go out and tell people, right? Like, oh, yeah, I, I, I forget stuff a lot, and I, I don't know how to regulate, <laughs> like, what is that, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the emotional yeah. regulation. Once I realized that, I was like, "Oh, yes, yes." A lot of things start to make sense. <laughs> I'd love to know. After your diagnosis, was there anything you changed immediately, and what have you been doing? And I say treatment plan wise, and I don't necessarily mean just medicine. If you are taking medicine. But what have you changed in life to address some of the things that you now know are actual struggles for you? Like, and I say actual meaning like if someone were to hand you a list of symptoms, like they'd be on the list and you'd go, oh, okay, like I want to help alleviate that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest one that came out of all this was being very kind to myself in terms of my productivity, um, knowing that. I probably will never work uh, nine to five and that's okay. Basically I've optimized my work schedule to work for me and my energy levels. So when I get into those moments where I'm hyper-focused and I'm like prepared to literally just dive into something for three to four hours, because I know that I start to feel it now. Like I'm starting to notice the, the, the triggers of, Oh, I'm in that state. I can go into that. Let's do it. And then, I'll do all my work. I'll probably be like two or three times more productive than, you know, <laughs> time in the week. And then I go, okay, good. That got, got, got finished. And then now I'm going to switch gears. Uh, tomorrow I'll just do, you know, um, finance stuff or, you know, it, it's these sort of realizing that it's not about time and it's not about schedules, but it's actually about what's happening in here and how to optimize that. And it's been really, for me, I'm like really impressed because I can get so much done now that I never thought I could because I always assumed like, oh my gosh, like how can I get through 40 hours or 20 hours or whatever it is. And now I just work however I can and will. And because of, you know, the fact that I'm consulting, it's very flexible and I'm really grateful for that because then I can, I can kind of get a sense of what's triggering these things. Do I need to go for a run? Do I need to um, eat something? Do I need to hydrate? And, you know, then it, it gets a lot simpler versus, oh my gosh, like I cannot focus right now. I'm going to beat my head over this wall because I'm so unproductive and being really hard on myself. Now it's just like, I could just do it. This is great. <laughs> and, not, you know, it, it, it's, it's, been, it's been a blast. Um, I've actually had a lot more fun with work because of that and understanding how, how the rhythms work. Um, and that, you know, I, I'm, I'm doubling down on a lot of things I did before anyway, but realizing those were helping me even more, you know, I'll, I'll meditate more. I'll go for walks more. Um, I'll talk to people when I need to, or even better is realizing that I just need to schedule all my meetings in one day. So that's what I do now is I go, well, that day is over. Like as soon as I talk to anyone, I'm like, Ooh, like we're just gonna, you know, 
we're going to go down all these paths and, you know, nothing's really going to get done in a, in a sense. But, uh, you know, it's, it's realizing that certain things or certain people bring certain things out of me and I can use that to my advantage versus before it used to be like, well, I can't, I can't talk to anyone. Uh, it's going to be too much. Um, and then I'm not going to get anything done. I have to tell you, I'm right now like trying so hard not to think about how I'm going to change my own schedule because what you said, I was like, oh gosh, that makes a lot of sense. And that's why you have some part time. And it's so interesting that that's what you said because I was beating myself up a couple of weeks ago. You know, I had worked an entire weekend producing a podcast. And I mean, I don't even take into account how many hours that go into editing or trying to fine tune things. And I found myself on a Monday afternoon, like relaxing and then beating myself up mm. because everyone else that I know who works quote unquote normal hours was working. And a friend thankfully said to me, like, you don't work a normal schedule. Like, <laughs> how many hours did you put in over the weekend? What time, you know, like if I can't sleep, what I do is I get up and I start working. Like, it's different for us because there's a very gray area. Our job's like never ending. It's like you may be wrapping up a project, but you're always looking at the next one or what is exciting me now or who do I want to work with and how am I going to pursue that? Whereas like my boyfriend who's a boat mechanic, he's not bringing boats back to our house. I'm very grateful for that. Like he's not like rolling in this massive boat to like keep working on it after hours. Whereas me, I'm like, oh, let me just send this email. Let me do this. And I was so grateful for her saying that because it was just like, ah, we work in a different way. And so I love that you know now, you, you said, what energy do people bring out of me and how do I utilize that? And in my head, I'm like, okay, reevaluating how I schedule everything. But I also feel like we are people pleasers. And so I would always say, oh, my schedule's open. What works for you? And I love the idea of being like, yeah, Tuesdays, my meeting days. This is when I'm available. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like just hard, like, no, like, and I don't even, I've set it up where I don't even get in my own way of my people pleasing. I just like, I have like a calendar that's like automated and I'm like, oh, I, I, I can't do anything about it. Like, I'm so busy every other day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you at your ADHD diagnosis and the way it's shown up in your life. And you mentioned what happened with graduate school and feeling overwhelmed. Are there things that you look back and you're like, oh man, it was there. And that's why this happened. And like, maybe you view some of those things in a negative light. Yeah. Yeah. I think PhDs are weird, right? Like the whole graduate school route is probably... <laughs> Can can be really trying in the sense that you know you're you're talking about a, a topic right you choose a topic and then there's like an even smaller topic underneath that and then like no one knows anything about it and you have to be so hyper focused about like achieving your research goals and ends and there's all this bureaucracy that's involved as well which I I wasn't aware of until I got in and it's and then you realize like oh wow this is actually a lot about managing expectations and you know as much as i'd like to say oh it's like straightforward and you know you go in you do your research and then you leave it was never like that like it was just there's too much chaos even in it was so narrow 
And I looked at it, I was like, wow, I used to beat myself up saying like, I was a terrible graduate student. Like I was just plain not good at this and I'm not smart enough to, even though I got my PhD, I was like, oh, well, you know, I kind of just barely passed. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, I just, I just didn't optimize it to my own, you know, way of thinking. Because here I am as a consultant and I'm having a blast. Like, you know, I'm talking to people and, you know, getting projects and it's a lot of fun because, you know, it's that, it's, it's kind of feeding that dopamine hit of like, oh, like, oh, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I get really good at it. I got really good at it. And like, I don't know if I could have done it without, you know, this sort of way of thinking, because at some point I was given the option to take medication and I sat down with myself and I was like, if for some reason this changes how I operate and work, is that going to be to my benefit or is that going to be a a detriment? I was like, no, I love this. (laughs) Like I love randomly waking up at, you know, 2 a.m. and working till, seven or eight and then i have my whole day like i that's just there like i'm allowed to do that because of the way that you know i've 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 fixed it up and if i lost that and i said oh well i have to like normalize this i would be very hard to say like i feel like myself right like i've i've started to accept and understand it as there's definitely the benefits and there's also the the weaknesses and i just have to learn how to optimize for for those that's really a great way to look at it. And it is so important to be having those conversations about like what is important to you in life and how do you want to kind of protect it and figuring out then, okay, well, what are the other options for me? And I'm curious because you mentioned with the inattentive type that relationships have been hard. And I think that that is something that a lot of us struggle with whether it's imposter syndrome or rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, all of these things where it's it's obvious you're incredibly outgoing and incredibly charismatic and you know you can just jump into a conversation and you love talking to people, but it's like then how do you take that to the next level? And so I'm curious if when you look back at graduate school and some of the relationships that you were expected to to develop in order to be successful do you see some of those moments of like oh yes that was holding me back yeah i mean i was really good at it in college where i could manage relationships with people who are you know who, who are basically had authority over me because i didn't have to interact with them very much in graduate school you have this one professor that's like kind of dictates your entire academic career i was terrible at managing that like because, you know, sometimes I just blurt things out. And I didn't ever really have that shield where I was like, okay, this is professional and this is personal and yada, yada, yada. That was just how I functioned. And I, I, for a long time, I just assumed like, oh, there's something wrong with me, right? And, you know, I, I'm never really going to fit in into this whole, you know, experience where like you have to, you know, say the right thing and, you know, there's politics involved. And I was like... Oh boy, like this is this is too much to to even manage right now. And so, like I'm a little I look back and I'm like, "Huh. That's a that's an interesting situation I had and I I always felt like, gosh, I'm never going to get any references." 
like no one no one's gonna write a reference for me you know in order to to move forward in my career so i'm really grateful with, with consulting because i don't ever need references <laughs> i just go like this is who i worked with and it's fine and everyone's like cool that's awesome and I think having having the ability to have sort of a short term relationship with people allows me to not have to necessarily manage my own way of being. And I think that's I think that's what makes friendship and family a little harder because those things, you know, those things never really go away. So you just hope that people accept you for who you are. And I've just I just gravitate towards people who are neuro, uh, not neurotypical. Right. So they, they kind of understand maybe unconsciously or from their upbringing that, you know, things don't work out for them in terms of social setting. It's a lot. It's a lot easier. You know, like I, I have a friend that I've known forever. He's probably my only high school friend. And I, I suspect that he's on the spectrum. Um, but he's he's a, he's a lot of fun. He's really smart. And I really have a blast talking with him because we both kind of come at a relationship understanding that if there's anything that, you know, in a conventional relationship, there'd be like some established rules. We don't have that because we don't, we don't have any assumptions and it's a lot easier. (laughs) I have a friend like that too. And one of the things that we both love about each other is that we'll have plans on the books for a month and the morning of, it's like we check back in with each other. Like, how are you feeling about today? Do you want to do it? Are we doing this? And I would say like 50-50, we reschedule or we change what we are going to do to like fit the moment. And I know I have friends who that would just never fly. Like you've made plans, you have to stick to it. And I think that's why our relationship, we were talking about it the other day. It's like, we have never had a fight ever. And I think- I'm actually just realizing and having this conversation with you, it's because of that is because there's these undefined rules about what we both need in that moment. And like my friends who are a little bit more on like the stickler side, I'm so afraid to be like, Hey, I'm not there today and I don't want to do this, but it's going to bug you. So I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, you know, and I think that because there's those expectations, I think that's when the relationship deteriorates because you, you hold back, right? You hold back that part of yourself where you're like, wow, I really needed that day or I didn't feel like a hundred percent, but you're, you're kind of just going along with, you know, what's expected of you and then it becomes an obligation, right? And I, I, I feel that a lot. And, you know, over time, over, over the years, I've learned to sort of move past that and accept the fact that like, I, I don't need to feel guilty if I forget something. The nice thing is that with my wife, she's the complete other side of the spectrum. She's like on time, like a hundred percent, like sticks to things, communicates. And so like, I've actually just started growing into her network. I'm like, oh good. She can, she can do all that stuff and like sustain these like long-term relationships and together are like, good like we come as a as a package because otherwise this is not gonna work <laughs> you have to deal with you have to talk to her she's the she's the um, relationship uh coordinator <laughs> i also have one of those in my life so it's very interesting and like always on time i'm just like oh my gosh spot on right i'm curious with consulting from my understanding is so you 
have clients and you set parameters on what you're going to do for them. And there's different projects and different dates for delivery, but you're also kind of setting that workload and how you're going to do it on your own. And I know a lot of people with ADHD, they really need that management. You know, the idea of working for themselves is exciting. I know I love it, but it's also hard when you are the one who's like being the stickler that has to get yourself to do it. So what have you found is is working for you? Because it amazes me how just you are so confident in this role as a consultant and you love it so much. And in my head, I'm like, okay, but are you delivering things on time? Because that would be the hardest thing for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, in the beginning, it was it was like a big question mark where I was like, oh, can I really deal with deadlines? Like, have I ever, like, is that really, what if I pick up a really giant project and you know, I, I just, I dropped the ball or something like that. And over time, I think what ended up happening was I over-delivered a lot when, and I really focused on those times where I was hyper-productive. And I, you know, and, and it's not like I always get things done, but, you know, I think what, it ha- what has happened is I've chosen clients that actually understand how I work. And that 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 came out of, a lot of trial and error. I mean, I had some really rough times where, you know, people just didn't like what I delivered. And I was like, Ooh, I took that really personally. And like, I didn't, and at some point I was like, kind of like with the relationship thing, I was like, okay, well, I'm just not going to have clients like that anymore. Like there might, I might have like a trial period where I'm actually evaluating how they operate. Right, like I, I've switched the, the script a little bit and said, "Yo, know, you, if you're gonna work with me, like I need to know, like, can you follow where I'm going?" Because I started to realize my own worth, and when I really delivered, and I saw how surprised some of my clients were, I was like, "There is a superpower there, and maybe one that they haven't seen before." And I was like, "Wow, I can really create something that." You know, and I realized that it's not the amount of time that I spend on something. It's actually the creativity that I bring to it and the, the ability to connect a lot of different thoughts. And so I positioned myself as that person. I'm not going to be the person that I, I, I tell everyone up front, I'm the worst employee. Don't ever hire me. You know, I'm not an employee, but I am someone that can come in and, you know, if I see something, I'll tell you. I have no filter. I tell clients all the time, like, don't even expect me to be nice, right? Because I'm just going to tell you how it is. And I've, I, I basically just worked in my own personality. And, you know, the clients that I lose, I'm like, okay, those are not the people that I, I need to work with. I need to find people who, like, love what I do, are willing to pay what I do, and really understand that, like, I'm delivering something different. It hasn't been easy. Um, definitely, there's been you know, dry periods in my work, but I make up for it for like really, really excellent, excellent clients and people who are willing to say like, yeah, like this guy's amazing. And like, you know, the testimonials have been like through the roof. So it's a lot of filtering and it's really understanding that I'm not a deadline person. Like, don't give me deadlines. I won't. Or if you give me deadlines, like understand that they're soft deadlines. <laughs> so I put those expectations up front. So they're very much driven by my own way of thinking and perceiving and 
the experiences that I've had in the past. I love that. I had a similar realization very recently, but I love how you, like you said, you flipped the script and that you changed things. Cause like you could have gone down the path that was expected that you are supposed to kind of grovel for your clients and just like bend over backwards. And I love that you're like, no, that's not going to work for me. And it, it's not going to work for you in the way that you need me to work for you. And I think realizing that, you know, I've struggled so much with like, I don't love social media. I don't want to create TikToks. I don't want to create reels, but I think I'm supposed to because that's what's holding this market right now. And it's like, no, I'm good. I don't need to do that. Like, but getting to that point and realizing like, okay, so maybe I'm not going to build it the way I'm expected to. I'm going to build it the way I want to, which means that it's going to be more sustainable in the end. It just might take a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had the same realization myself I, for a while. And I was actually running social media for a, a nonprofit back in graduate school. And I was thinking like, oh gosh, like do I have to pivot to like my own social media and like, do I have to do all this? And I tried it for a little bit. I was like, no, not, not for me. Like, I, I don't know how anyone does this. This is like chaos, like complete chaos. And so, um, but somehow I, I landed on running this uh, little subgroup on, on, on Reddit where like, I, I don't do anything, but somehow like, because of the like random conversation I have when I just feel like it, it's like this self-sustaining community where people could pitch in on their own. And that's really worked out really well where I don't have to do a whole lot, but people, people are so excited about the topic or you know, they're willing to like come in and, and do the work of, of managing that, that I, I, I can just come in and do my thing and then leave. And that, that works really well. That's worked perfectly for me. That's awesome. And it's a great reminder, like you come in when you're passionate about it and you're putting yourself in there. And like in that moment, you are so yourself and that's what people are connecting with. And then you're like, peace. Okay, I'll be back next time I'm inspired. But like you're not coming in there just to say you did or like put stuff out there that's not something you're really connected to. Exactly. A hundred percent. I want to know where do you see yourself thriving when you look at your life and your ADHD diagnosis and kind of the things that you do know now come in with that? Yeah, I think just honoring it, right? Just honoring that that's me. And like, there's, there's a story of my life that has that as part of it and not saying it as something that I need to reject or manage or but actually, it's just, it's part of the color that is being a human. I have a background in Buddhism. So for me, it's understanding that I think that we all suffer from our own little idiosyncrasies. And this is just like another flavor of that. Brian, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and joining us for ADHD Awareness Month. And I just, I really appreciate you coming on and being so open and honest and 
funny. I laughed so much. So I just thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Lindsay. I really appreciate your time. And it's been a blast talking about this. And thanks for having this platform to discuss sort of the personal nitty gritties of ADHD. And uh, I hope that this helps someone in the future. A big thanks to Brian Lee for sharing his story with us on Refocus Together. To find more information on the work he's doing, as well as where to find his book, head to the show description for all of the links. The thanks continue in a big way to the entire ADHD Online team, Zach Booker, Dr. Randall Dutler, Tim Gutwald, Keith Brophy, my teammates, Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, Paul Owen, Kirsten Pip, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandunny, Lauren Radley, Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly and the team at Dexia, Cameron Sterling and Candice Lefke, Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Gelbard, Phil Rodeman, and Sarah Platinitis. Our theme music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at RefocusPod. 